0: Well, I think everyone knows that I'm going to be retiring soon, so people have been asking me a lot of interesting questions. A few have said, what is your last sermon going to be on? Well, before I get there, I've got to think about what was my last series going to be on, having just completed 2 Kings. I gave that a lot of prayerful thought. What do I want to say at the end? Better yet, What should I say at the end? And better still, what does God's Word have to say about what should be communicated at the end of a person's ministry? Does the Bible provide us any insight? Well, we should not be surprised that it does. To answer that question, I thought of four different books in the Bible that were written, that they were occasioned by the end of an individual's ministry. The first is the book of Deuteronomy, as it addresses the end of the ministry of Moses. The Book of Joshua, as it addresses the situation upon Joshua's death. The third book is 2 Timothy, which is written by Paul just prior to his death, 2 Timothy 4.6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. In that book, Paul writes instructions to young Timothy who will be taking over for Paul after Paul's death. And so he charges Timothy in a variety of ways. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men, we'll be able to teach
1: others also. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.3,
0: Share in the sufferings of God as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verses 1-2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be diligent in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort all long-suffering and doctrine. I recently preached on 2 Timothy, so I wasn't going to go there again. The fourth book is the book that we're in, and that is the book of 2 Peter. Peter speaks about his rapidly approaching death. In verse 14, he says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. This is the occasion for the writing of 2 Peter, the knowledge that Peter has that he's going to be dying very soon. His death is imminent, and so in light of his death and the fact that he will not be present to minister to the people of God much longer, we have these parting words, what Peter has to communicate to them what he wants them to keep in mind. Peter writes this epistle so that the believers will continue strong in their faith and faithfulness to God when Peter is no longer on the scene. The key verse is 2 Peter 1.15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. That is the overarching theme and purpose of 2 Peter. That after my departure, you will be able to recall these things at any time, that they will be on your heart and mind. So this morning, I want us to begin by looking at this purpose for 2 Peter. And as we unfold this purpose, we notice, first of all, that Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to people of genuine faith. If you look with me at verse 1 of chapter 1, it reads, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. The NASB translates it, those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. So Paul is saying that their faith is like his faith, their standing is like his standing, are in a good relationship with God. So he's writing to these faithful, dedicated believers. As he writes, he doesn't write anything new to them. If you look with me at verse 12, it says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, and qualities is supplied... Uh, I like the translations better that say these things because I think ultimately what's in view are the promises of God in Second uh, Peter, and I, I'll unfold that later, but these things, though you know them and are established in them. So he's writing about things that they already know, things that they already know, though you know them. Peter writes to the believers concerning things of which they are already well aware. He's not communicating to them anything that they don't already know. Thus, we can assume that they are not deficient or lacking in understanding of anything of great significance. He's not, at the end, just trying to bring them up to par or bring them up to snuff. He he doesn't say, now these are the last few things that I I need to, to instruct you in. no. It's not new, which, of course, is a good thing, but still he is writing to them of something that is of great value and relevance, which teaches us that something doesn't have to be new to be of great value or of great relevance. There is a tremendous temptation on the part of preachers to want to say something new or novel to expound a truth that no one has ever seen before or take an approach to Scripture that is a bit different. Try to spice things up a little. Make things more interesting and exciting. I have something to tell you that you won't hear anywhere else. Well, the motivation to preach something new can be a good one. You don't want to be boring or just repetitious. We want to be relevant and current in our understanding, that is true, and we want to be constantly learning. On the other hand, there are some really great dangers in trying to preach something that is new. The preacher might want to look clever or creative, The pulpit is not a place to show off one's intellectual ability or gifts. Or try to demonstrate intellectual superiority to all those that have come before. We're going to find out that Peter had the best of motives and reasons at writing to them things of which they already knew.
1: This was appropriate. This was right. And even more, Peter is writing
0: believers concerning things to which they are already committed. It isn't that they already knew them, but they are committed to these truths. Look at verse 12. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and now these words, and are established in the truth. It's one thing to know the truth. It's quite another to fully commit oneself to the truth. They had. They are established in the truth. They are grounded in the truth. They are fully committed to the word of God and living it out. So the issue of his writing is not rebuke or censure. He is not trying to bring them to a place of conformity to the will and purpose of God that they are not presently fulfilling. He he is not trying to correct something that is wrong as he writes 2 Peter. They are established in the truth. So if it's not something new that has to be communicated to them, and if it isn't something that needs to be corrected in their lives, then what's the purpose? Why is this written? Well, The answer is, Peter is writing in order to excite his readers and to wake them up to what God has done, is doing, and will do. Notice verse 13. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, now this, to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up. To stir up is literally to arouse or awake out of sleep. He's going to shake them Awake. He wants to put a fire under them. He wants to excite them about the things that they already know, that they would maintain to be precious and wonderful and glorious. He doesn't want them to lose sight of how great God's truth is. Perhaps like David, who prays in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We can lose joy, we can lose excitement, we can lose the the essence of what life is all about if we're not careful. Even though we know them, and even though we're grounded in them and established in them, we can lose the heartfelt zeal and appreciation
1: for the great promises of God. He doesn't want them to lose it. Peter writes with an urgency because he's about to die.
0: Peter knows that he is going to die in the near future, verse 14. And I know that the suffering, excuse me, and I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. I'm going to die. The NES translates it, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Thus there is an urgency in Peter's writing. It's occasioned by the reality of Peter's upcoming death. He is aware that soon he will not be ministering to them any longer. and So these are his parting words. This is his last shot, if you will, of being able to address the believers. You might ask the question, how does Peter know that he's going to die in the near future? Well, it's not because he's in ill
1: health. Not because he's weak and frail or terminally ill or Peter is
0: strong and uh, and, uh, and, uh, healthy when he dies. He isn't going to die because of an illness. He's going to die the death of a martyr. The death of a martyr. Peter knows that he's going to die soon for God revealed it to him. Notice verse 14. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, how does he know that? As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So Jesus made it clear. Jesus Must have revealed to him in a very powerful way, Peter, you are about to die. Peter, you're going to be martyred. You are soon going to be off the scene. We know that Peter dies as a martyr, or it is foretold in the scriptures. At the very beginning of Peter's ministry, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ had told Peter that Peter would die a martyr's death. In John chapter 21, portion of scripture that Pastor Cruz spoke on just a few uh, weeks ago, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to the disciples and speaks to Peter and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And Then verse 19 says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So right from the beginning, God said to Peter, You're going to die the death of a martyr. Your arms are going to be stretched out. You are going to be crucified, Peter. That's how you're going to die. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. After he told Peter how he was to die, he said, follow me. Follow me in my death, and follow me in my ministry, and follow me as a Faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told from church history that Peter was crucified by the orders of Nero, the emperor of Rome. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. For Peter thought himself unworthy to die in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. In Fox's book of Martyrs, it records the following, quotes Jerome in saying, he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring, because he said he was unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he was crucified, he he asked to be crucified upside down. Because he was not worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus was. He died a martyr's death. And Peter, knowing that he was going to die, wanted to be faithful to the end. So he says in verse 13, I think it right as long as I'm in this body. As long as I am living, this is the right thing for me to do. This is what God wants of me. No, it would be interesting if we knew that our death was imminent, especially if we knew that our death was imminent and we we're still in good health. Well, people sometimes refer to having a bucket list of certain things they want to accomplish before they die. If you knew your death was just about to take place, what is it that you would want to do? What would you want to be devoting yourself to? What kind of activities would you want to engage in? You want to take that last trip? You want to experience X, Y, Z? Well, Peter says that as long as I live, right to the very end, what is appropriate for me is to stir you up by way of reminder. Back in John chapter 21, Peter had been called by Christ to feed God's people. In John 21:15, Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Teach them my word. Give them what they have in need of, that which is life-giving, which is the truth of God's word. Feed my lambs. The second admonition that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, gives to Peter in John chapter 21. He said to him a second time, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" He said, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." He said to him, "Tend my sheep." The first admonition is, "Feed my sheep. The second is tend." my sheep. Literally translated, it's the word shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. Watch over them. Protect them. Guard them. Lead them. Provide for them. Care for them. Shepherd my sheep. Now, Peter knows that he's about to die, and Jesus makes him aware of that, verse 14, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So why would God make that clear to Peter? Why does Jesus tell Peter
1: in advance that Peter is about to die? Why not let him just experience it? Why the heads up? What is Jesus doing? Answer, Jesus is making Peter aware of his approaching death
0: so that he can prepare
1: those to whom he has ministered who continue on without him. So that
0: they will understand, that they will be aware of what God is doing. That they will not be disillusioned when they see their
1: leader crucified. That this is not something that has run amok or gone wrong.
0: And Peter writes to the believers so that when he is dead and gone, they will not forget Peter's message, but rather keep the faith and remain faithful. Notice verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, here's the purpose, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So that no matter what situation, no matter where you find yourself in life, that these things will be on your heart and mind, that that they will be recalled, that they will be remembered, that that they will be forefront in your thinking. These are things you should never forget, things that you should never depart or move away from. As long as you live, these are things to which you need to be dedicated. The key word is to recall. Recall. Remember not to forget. So Peter is going to remind them of the things that they already know so that they will continue in them in heart and mind, that they would not depart from them or let them go. So we have these words repeated in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you. Verse 13, to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 15, you would recall, remind,
1: remind, and recall. Reflect on what you already know to be true. It is the
0: practice, yes, and even the purpose of godly leaders to prepare their people for the continuation of ministry after the leader is no longer on the scene. Let me remind you of the purpose of life and ministry
1: as seen throughout the scriptures. We're going to now just take a big view of what the scriptures
0: consistently teach us in this whole process of person dying and passing on the faith the next generation first paul had been preparing timothy and others to take over for him after his death paul's exhortation to timothy in 2 timothy 4:5 is this as for you always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist and now these words fulfill your ministry fulfill your ministry Timothy, that's what you're about. Fulfill your ministry. Accomplish the purpose for which God has saved you. The reason for the exhortation is the approaching death of Paul. He said, for I'm ready being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Timothy, I'm about to die. So what does he say to Timothy? Timothy one. you then my child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For that is the goal of godly ministering. It is the passing of the faith. That is to fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Your ministry is fulfilled when you have prepared a people to take on after you're gone. Timothy, I poured my life into you. Timothy, you need to pour your life into others so that they will be able to teach others also. That's what the ministry is. It is passing the baton from one generation to prepare the next generation so that generation prepares the next generation and it continues on till the Lord comes. It's really that simple. The preserving of the faith and passing it on. That's what ministry is all about. Let me remind you about Moses. For Moses had prepared the people of God and prepared Joshua for Moses' approaching death. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31. Let me be worth looking at this passage and, and seeing these things for yourself. Deuteronomy
1: 31. Starting at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31.1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all
0: Israel. Deuteronomy is really a series of three sermons that are given by Moses. Three long sermons that are given by Moses to prepare the people for his death and their entrance into the promised land. In verse 1 it says, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, You shall not go over this Jordan. God had revealed it to Moses
1: Moses, you're going to die. You're not going over the Jordan. And so he tells the people, I'm not going over the Jordan. But, Moses is going to die, but
0: God isn't going to die. Moses will no longer be with them, but God will still be with them. That's the important thing. Deuteronomy 31 verse 3, the Lord your God
1: himself will go over before you. I won't be there, but God will be. That's the
0: message. That's the message. Down through the generations. People come, people go. God remains the same. God is with his people in every generation. Psalm 100. My truth shall endure to every generation. It's the responsibility and the duty of the leader to deflect from themselves and point to the one to whom all glory, honor, and praise and respect and confidence is due. It wasn't Moses.
1: It was God.
0: It was God. And so God will do in the future what God has done in the past. Notice verse 4. And the Lord will do to them as he did. Now, here's the reminder to Sihon, to Og, and the king of the Ammonites. You have already seen God work. You've already seen his power displayed. You've already seen the victories. So know that God is going to give you the victory in the promised land. That's the kind of God that we serve. So verse 5, and the Lord will give them over to you. Just as he has done in the past, he will do in the future. For God remains faithful. He he remains the same. Next, Moses publicly charges Joshua so that all of Israel will hear. Verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, this is a public declaration on the part of Moses. This is what he says. Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord your God has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Don't fear the future because God will be with you. God is in this. And that's why you don't fear. Now, Joshua, it's interesting enough if you look, and I'm not going to take the time to go there, but there actually is at the end a comparison, if you will, to Moses. And and Moses is this really unique individual that uh, God uses in a powerful way, and he speaks face-to-face to to God, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the book, that's not what
1: matters. It's the fact that God is in this. God is in this.
0: So now let me remind you concerning the events that accompany the event of Joshua's life and ministry. Turn with me to Joshua chapter
1: 24. Joshua 24. Sounds a little familiar. Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered,
0: I'm at Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, so he's speaking to the leaders, and he's also speaking to the people. Thus says the Lord. And notice that that's exactly what happened in um, Deuteronomy, where God, uh, through Moses, uh, speaks to both the people and then to Joshua. Actually, we have the same thing even in First and Second Peter, where in First Peter he's talking to the elders, and in Second Peter he's talking to the people. So we we see that repeated action in the scriptures of talking to the leadership, talking to the elders, talking to the, the people of God, both. Joshua charged the people to remain faithful, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. I'm at verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that... Your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and served the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people respond positively. Verse 16. Then the people answered, Far it be from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the peoples through whom we passed. We're not going to forsake God, for God did all of this. How would we ever forsake God? That was the whole point. That was what Joshua was to drive home.
1: This is what God had done. What he had done. Jump down to verse 29. And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. He dies. He died being 110 years old,
0: and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnah Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash.
1: and the people continue on. Look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua in all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had known the work of the Lord that he did for Israel. So they continued on. They knew the work of the Lord that he had done.
0: And the people, the elders, those that outlived
1: Joshua, remained faithful. That's the universal example in the scriptures.
0: It was Joshua who led the nation of Israel to victory in the promised land. So that the faith of God's people and their service to God will continue in the generations
1: to come. Don't miss that. They were led into the promised
0: land not just to live cushy lives. But God led them into the promised land so that they and future generations would love and serve him. Don't lose sight of the Lord and don't fail to see what God has done in preparing people for continued faith and ministry. Rejoice in a God who maintains the passing on of faith and ministry and will continue to do so until he comes. God will bring to completion what he has started. Remember, what God has done, God will continue to do, and what God has done is what God calls the church to do. God raises up the next generation to love and serve the Lord so that they, in turn, will raise up the next generation to love and serve the Lord. The process goes on and on and on. It's been handed down to us for centuries, for millennia. Acts 13.36 is significant. Listen to what it says concerning David.
1: For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David's ministry
0: was in his generation to those that were alive while he was
1: living. That was his purpose. And when that purpose was fulfilled, he died. But God didn't die. The nation didn't cease. It continues on. Now, as
0: a church, we are in the very period and time for a new leader to minister to the next generation. That is the plan. That is the purpose of God. Now is the time for someone else to minister to that next generation and the generations to come, to those that are not even yet born, if if God tarries. Let me remind you that that is the purpose and the essence of the church. Jesus said these words, these, these famous words, you know them. I'm not telling you anything new this morning. I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. Jesus said, I, finish it with me, will
1: build my church. Remember who he said that to? He said that to Peter. In the very early days of Peter's ministry, he said, Peter, I will build my church. And build his church is what God did and what Peter was engaged in. People, that is what the building of the church is all about. The passing of the
0: faith and ministry from one generation to the next. During
1: my ministry... We have built some buildings. I'm thankful for the buildings.
0: I'm thankful for this sanctuary. Thankful for the opportunities that are present. We have built some buildings. But that's not what I'm really excited about this
1: morning. And that's not really what God called me to do. God didn't call me to build buildings, God called me to build buildings. His church, his church. That is
0: people that will be faithful and prepared to serve after I'm gone. It has been my passion from the very beginning. Anyone who can reflect and remember the beginning of my ministry, I kept praying for opportunities for people that I could disciple and groom. It's been my passion from the very beginning continues to this very day to prepare and equip the next generation for faithfulness and for ministry so that they, in turn, can
1: prepare the next generation for faithfulness and ministry. I'm pumped that this very weekend
0: we have a spiritual retreat taking place which Pastor Cruz is ministering to the teens to equip and prepare them to minister to their generation, who then will have the responsibility to prepare and equip the next generation. That's what it's all about, to pass on the faith and the faithfulness of ministry to the
1: next generation. You see how easy it is to forget it. We all know
0: it. We all know that the Great Commission is to make
1: disciples. To prepare the next generation. That's what it's all about.
0: But it's so easy to lose sight of it. It's so easy to
1: forget it. It's so easy not to be excited about it. We need to rejoice in the people that God is raising up to serve him and to proclaim his word. It's exciting. We need to see God at work. Moses'
0: concern was that the people wouldn't see what God had done. And if they don't see what God has done and is doing, they're going to be fearful and afraid of the future. But if you can see the hand of God, if you can see God at work, if
1: you can see a sovereign God who knows the beginning from the end, and has a plan in what he is doing, if you can be attuned to what is his purpose and desire, What he has commanded us to do. And you can take great heart. Or you can see God at work. And realize there's no need to fear. Because it's not about the individual. It's about the God who raises up. It's about
0: the God who works, the God who moves. It's about the God who says... In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will build my church. The gates of hell
1: shall not prevail against it. Nothing is going to stop Christ building his church. Rejoice in his building
0: of the church. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your purpose, your desire, your design, and how we can see down through the generations—the Moseses, the Joshuas, the Davids—how you have worked and prepared for the passing on of ministry from one generation to the next. Lord, as we work our way through
1: the book of 2 Peter, stir our hearts and minds, Lord. Give us assurance that it is your purpose and your will for Peter to die. But in Peter's death, you have not and did not forsake your people. But you had others
0: prepared and ready and Lord, you have others prepared and ready and you will in the future have others prepared and ready for that is what you promised and that is what the church is to do. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what we have seen. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the effectual working of your word. Oh Lord. O Lord, give us eyes to see
1: and hearts to rejoice. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.